Morning, church. This morning's reading is going to be in 1 Colossians. We're going to read 1 through 23, and I'm going to be reading in the ESV version. I, the apostle, Paul, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace by God from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present your holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, I want to go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, especially this morning, it is a great burden, as again in the news we have seen more shootings. And we wonder why so much violence is happening in our world, in our, in our own United States. And w- but we know in our hearts where it all uh, begins at. And it begins in our, in our heart, in our moral code, and basically how we are raised as kids, how we talk to our kids at home, the moral fabric of our nation. Uh, has been undermined. We've taken you out of our schools. We've taken you out of city government. We fight with you. We fight with those who, who, who object to you in our federal government, Lord, and we see the results of all of this, God. Oh, God, help us. Such a burden, Lord. 
We pray for those families that have been impacted by this morning's shootings, Lord. And we just pray that somewhere, some way along the line, that people get the hint that it's not about gun control. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about you. It's about having you in our hearts and establishing the moral code of which we need to be having printed on us as children and raised up so that we do not hate our fellow man and so that we have love for it. Like your commandment says, the first two, love your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor. If we would just adhere to these two commandments, I believe that the violence in our system, in our cities, in our states would be abated somewhat, God. Oh, Lord, we just pray for a resurgence of you in our society, God, not only for the violence that is overtaking us, Lord, but to give us a hope and give their nation a foundation in you, where we started at. Lord, we just pray for a return of our country to you, Lord. We pray that you would anoint Jackie this morning, God, and that you would bless your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, remind ourselves of where we've come from, you know, last we, we talked about Paul's prayer for, for growth spiritually and about redemption, forgiveness, and the fact that Jesus Christ has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. And, and as, he, as he does this, he's going to now move into a focus on on who Christ is, his role in creation, his role in reconciliation. Well, why does that make a difference? Because what Jerry was just praying about and some of the things we experience in our world today is just the sound of man worshiping his maker. That's how that works. Now, man may set himself up as his maker, but, but that is not how we have learn Christ and coming to a place where we will make uh, make ourselves humble ourselves to be submitted unto the Lord is a is a call that separates that we can spend all the time in the world you can pass all the laws you want take away what you want nothing changes the heart of man unless man submits himself to his maker and so Paul, when he's writing to Colossae all these years ago, Colossae has a, some struggles with how they're, how they're wanting to do things. And Paul's going to remind them of the foundation of all doctrine is built on who Christ is. Who is he? What has he accomplished? You know, he's translating us from the kingdom of darkness. But a lot of people, a lot of, a, a lot of places are still in darkness. No? And when you're in darkness, what do you think it's going to look like? Rabbi Zechariah said, it's a sound of man worshiping his maker. We want to understand our maker, know our maker. And so Paul, as he, as he takes us into this section of scripture this morning, he's going to talk about Christ first and his role in creation. And then secondarily, he's going to talk about Christ's role in reconciliation. 
and what that has accomplished and why those things are important. So he begins with this phrase, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, if you remember last time, I talked a little bit about this because this is an area in which Paul is saying, if you want to know the unknowable God, if you want to understand or comprehend who the Father is, then you do that by knowing the Son. He's the one who reveals the unknowable God to us. He's the one who shows us. The point of him saying that, that he is the image of the invisible God is you can't see God. You can't see him. And a lot of times when we go through Bible studies and we, and we talk about things and as we do our daily reading, maybe you struggle finding the Lord as you go through the Old Testament. But he's there on every page. But it's Jesus Christ who shows us. He, he is the, uh, the comprehension, the revelation of the invisible God. In John 1.18, listen what it says. John 1.18, it says, no one, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. John chapter 1. A lot of things we'll be referring to uh, this morning coming out of John chapter 1. Nobody has seen God. No one has seen the Father. You want to understand the Father. You want to know the unknowable God. You know the unknowable God through the revelation of His Son. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Lord said, Listen, everything God has to say to reveal about Himself to creation, He's done through His Son. He's finished. He said what He has to say. John 14, 9 you remember Jesus standing before Thomas. He says, have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Paul, a little earlier in his, in his ministry, writes to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, this is what he wrote. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said... Let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One of the things that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, again, we, we talked about last week, he's translated us from darkness to light. John chapter 1, we're told that light came but the light of Christ was rejected because men love the darkness. Men love the darkness. They don't want the light. Turn that light off. They don't want to come to that light. We also see that Christ is the representation of the invisible God. Not just the revelation, how we come to know God, but the representation. He's the perfect representation of the Father. Same in substance separate in purpose he is god he has a role the son has a role the father has a role 
Holy Spirit has a role. Jesus Christ is fulfilling that role as the image of God. In Hebrews 1.3, listen to what it says. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. What did He sit down for? Well, He told us on the cross, He said, It is finished. Reconciliation has been provided. In John chapter 1, 1 through 5, again, this is familiar text for you. It says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. That phrase, the Word was with God, literally means He was face to face with God. Face to face with God. That's, that's an important concept. Why? Because we talk about God as one in, in substance, but Three in person. You can't be face to... You and I, we can't be face to face with ourselves. But Yahweh, the Father, can be face to face with the Son. He was with God. And He is God. He was in the beginning with God. That phrase, He was in the beginning with God. Again, talks about before there was a beginning. It's speaking of His pre-existence. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I don't know how to say that clearer. He made everything that was made. Jesus, the Word of God. He made it. Anything that was made, he made. Still, there are some who can confuse that. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus brought his light into creation. Again, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says that the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It keeps them from coming to the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Who's the God of this world? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Through what? He's blinded their minds through sin because men loved the darkness. That word for love is the word agapeo. You've heard of that before, right? They agape the dark. The word agape is, has been uh, um, difficult for some to define, but one of the better definitions are self-sacrificing. So men sacrifice themselves to the dark. That's why they don't come to the light. Is the light shining? Sure. You turn on a light. There are some places you turn on a light and you can see all the roaches scattering for the dark, right? Well, that's what the unbelieving world is like. They want the dark. Give us the dark. But God has shown the light. He has shown the light so that they may come. He is the image of God. Revelation 3.14 says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, now this is important because Laodicea and Colossae are in the same region, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write this, the words of the Amen. Amen means so be it. Let it be. The faithful and true witness, the beginning, the cause of God's creation. 
So not only do we have the revelation of God in Christ, but we also have that representation. He is a representation of God that we see laid out for us. And then from there in verse 15, he's going to move to the concept of uh, God's involvement with creation, which includes reconciliation. In the very next phrase that he says, in the very next phrase, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. What is his relation with creation? He is the preeminent one. Protokos. Protokos. Firstborn didn't mean first one born. It has nothing to do with birth order. Firstborn means preeminent one, the important one. In their culture, who was the, who was the preeminent one in a family? If you had, like, say, uh, 12 boys, and you're going to have the... 12 tribes, who's the important one? Firstborn, he, he is the one who carries the inheritance. He's the one who has the authority. What's he saying? He's saying, look, the Son of God existed as he did before all things. He's the Lord of creation, the one who made everything. And he has been divinely appointed as the heir of all things. Scripture declares it. Hebrews 1-2. So he lays out for us that this work of creation, when it began, it was for him, and through him, it has been completed. He is preeminent. He is God in the flesh. Not only is he going to talk about his preeminence there in verse 15, but look at verse 16. He's going to talk about his power. For by him, all things were created, in heaven and on earth. Does that cover it all? Is there another sphere somewhere besides heaven and earth? Uh, not that I know of. Right? Either here or out there. He is the one who has created all things. Well, just in case you don't think that includes everything, how about this? Everything visible and invisible. Does that include everything? Is there another category besides visible and invisible? And then he goes on to describe spiritual... Uh, Positions of authority. He says, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. And just in case, that didn't cover everything. He said, all things were created through him. Do we need a Greek lesson on all things? I used to say, all means all, and that's all that all means. But sometimes all means all of something, and not all of something else. So I didn't want to confuse anybody by doing that. But you get the idea? He made it all? All things? Is there a category outside of all things? Some people would say, yeah, there's all other things. Well, what are you talking about? All other things? He is the creator of all things. They were created through him and for him. So when we talk about the origin of the power of Jesus Christ and his ability to move in creation, it is a power that was not given to him by the Father. It's his. He's Yahweh. Yahweh the Son. And the operation of that power, what did He do? All things were created by Him. He made it. John 1, 3. We just read a little while ago. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's a creator. He's a creator. He put it all together. That's how the power of Jesus Christ uh, uh, operated in our world. And what was the point? What is the point of creation? What is the point 
I was listening to an old song from the 90s. Now I can't remember the name of it. My wife hates it. That might be why I can't remember the name of it. But um, anyways, one of, the, one of the lines of the song was, is a line that talks about asking God, who am I and why am I here? And in Colossians here, he's discussing that same idea. What he's saying is the reason everything was made that was made was for Jesus Christ. That's why when you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, what what is the point? What is the the purpose for which we have been created? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our purpose is in Christ. He is central to everything. So if you have an existence or a, a purpose outside of that, well, nothing ever makes you happy. You're not ever satisfied. You're never satiated. Because one shiny thing gets dull and you need another one. Or you filled up all the banks you could fill up with your money, but there's always something else, right? Everybody always seems to want just a little more. To do what with? Jesus Christ is the central point of all of creation. It says in Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. It's all about Christ. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And when I find my place, who I am, what I'm I'm about, when I find that in Christ, then I've really found something. And the sound of that man worshiping his Maker is different than the sounds of the sirens. And the news commentators. And the politicians. That sound is different. When we find ourselves in Christ. And the power that He has, has shown us. That He has displayed for us. He is central. So we see. Redemption is accomplished through the same one who brought creation. Why why does that matter? Why should that make a difference? That our Redeemer is also our Creator and our Ruler and ultimately the goal of our life. Because so many times people struggle with with the concepts of who God is and, and what He's all about. And we struggle over definitions and comprehension of all of those things. And all the while God is saying, look, I'm what you need. That's what Yahweh means. When, when Moses stood before the Lord and he said, God, when I go tell the people what to do, they're going to say, well, who told you to tell us what to do? And I'm going to say, God. And they're going to ask me, what God? So Lord, will you tell me your name? And so God spoke to him and said, I am that I am. Tell them. I am has told you. Yahweh. I am. What, what, what does that phrase mean? The Hebrew, that phrase cl- most closely resembles this idea. I am the becoming one. I'm the becoming one. I am what you need. You think you need healing. 
So what are, what's one of the names of God in the Old Testament? Yahweh Rophe, Yahweh Rachai. What's he saying? I'm the Lord, your healer. You think your need is righteousness. He'd say, I am Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord, your righteousness. You think I need a shepherd. Then he would say, I am Yahweh Rochai, the Lord, your shepherd. The Lord is declaring from the beginning of the Old Testament through the end of the New. Who He is to us, what he, how He integrates with us, how He relates to us, and how He redeems us. We spend all our time thinking it's something else. I need something else. Something other. And over and over again, the Lord, as He reveals Himself, He's saying, no, I'm the one you need. Not only am I your Redeemer, not only am I your Creator, not only am I your Ruler, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I'm your goal. I'm what you need. It's not all those other things that we think it's all about. It's about coming to Him. All things created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. He's before them all. It's a statement about preeminence. He's the most important of them all. But it's also a statement of preexistence. Before there was anything, before anything made that was made, I already am. He is the preexistent one, the one who has existed before all time. And in him, all things are held together. You ever feel like your life is coming unraveled? You ever feel like it, you know, you know how every once in a while the, your, your shoelaces start to fray and frazzle and come apart? And it's so frustrating to tie a shoe like that. It's all, and the, what usually happens to me, especially now that I have a puppy, is he pulls my, my laces out of my boots and chews them all up and the ends are all frayed. And you ever try to put the frayed end back into an eyelet? Just a pain in the neck, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes that's what our lives are doing. Because we're trying to live our lives without Him. And it's coming unraveled. But the scripture would declare to us through Colossians, right, that in Him, listen, all things. How many things? All things are being held together. When my life is coming uh, unfrazzled, unraveled, thing, crazy things are going on, I think to myself, what, what, what am I doing? What have I done? Lord, you're the one who holds everything together. If everything's coming apart, maybe I need to seek your face. Maybe I forgot that you're the central thing in life. And I'm trying to fill life with a bunch of other things in a bunch of other ways. And as I do put all those pieces together, I end up with a bunch of unfrayed life that I can't get back together again. But God, who is rich in mercy and the love with which He has loved us, 
knows how the pieces fit. He knows how it goes together. We look at our world and we think things like, how did we get here? How do we get to this place? How, how do we see our society in this downward spiral? But that, don't you, if you look at history, that's always the story. That's what man does. Man unravels. You don't know that? I don't care. Pick your kingdom. Pick your king. Pick whatever you want to pick in terms of history and look at it. And whatever occurred in it, I can tell you this one thing that happened. Eventually, it unraveled. It came apart. Daniel, in in the dream that he deciphers for Nebuchadnezzar, he said there's coming a kingdom that will never end. Because who's the king of that kingdom? Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king, that kingdom doesn't come unraveled. Because he holds... How many things? All things together. My marriage is coming unraveled. What does he hold together? All things. He holds all things together. Who holds my marriage together? He does. Who holds my family together? He does. Who holds all these things together? If it's coming unraveled, then I need to think, is Jesus Christ central? When my marriage was unraveling, Jesus was not central. That was marriage Jackie's way. Nobody likes that. Family the same way, right? Family the same way. Why is my family coming unraveled? Because that's family Jackie's way. Why is my business coming unraveled? Maybe that's business your way. I just know that Jesus Christ is declaring that he is central, that he is the head, that he is preeminent, that he is all things, and that he holds it all together. So when it comes apart, I want to remember that the living Christ is the sustainer of everything. The unifying principle of life. That's the God we worship. Keeping our eyes focused on the one who holds it all together. And what's he holding it all together for? Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. So the church, not just Calvary Chapel Buell, the church of Jesus Christ, that church, that church he is the head of. He is the preeminent one for. He is the central point of its existence. Anything else is not the central point of it. In fact, he says in verse 18, he is the beginning. That means he is the cause. He's the spark from which life sprung for the church. He is the spark for which life sprung for creation. He's the spark from which life sprung for your reconciliation. He is everything. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. See, it's the centrality of Jesus Christ. Centrality. He talks about his authority. Who's the head of the church? Well, it's not Jackie. Who's the head of the church? Well, it's the board of elders. No, the head, there's only one head. The head of the church is Christ. And he's the head of all. 
the whole church. He is the head of the church. He is the cause, the supplier of life, the one who is exercising control, the one who is guiding and directing. He is doing it all. He is the head of the church. Life for the church resonates, is birthed from his life. How long does he live? He's eternal. So that life, that life is, is an eternal life, right? He is providing life and light and comprehension and understanding to his church. Well, if that's a position among the church, what's his, what's his position then among believers? Well, he's the source of our life, right? If he's the source of life in the church, he's the source of our life. How is he the source of our life? He's the firstborn of the dead. Again, firstborn doesn't mean first one. Is he the first one who ever rose from a dead? Well, you ought to at least know a couple of times Jesus walked by dead people and, and raised them from the dead, right? So Jesus wasn't dead yet, so he came after that. Firstborn of the dead, he's the preeminent. What, what happened with his resurrection? By his resurrection, we are made alive. We become through his beginning. We become through uh, him being the firstborn of the dead. We recognize his resurrection marks the triumph over everything that holds men in bondage. The triumph over the kingdom of darkness. His resurrection accomplishes that. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Christ, likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Through his resurrections, he broke the chains of death. Now death has no sting. Now death has no victory. For Christ is our victory. He has accomplished that. He accomplished that through the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ being firstborn from the dead sets us free from all the things we've been in bondage to. But that's not all it does. It also allows us to see, it allows us to see a new hope for all of humanity. Our new hope. What's a new hope? Why do we, why do we get frustrated when we look at the news and we see the events of the past days or, or future days or what's going to happen next week? Why does that disappoint us? there is no God, how are you going to tell me right and wrong? You? All of us together? Does that really function? Not if you think about it. Not if you think about it. No. It is because we know there's a new hope for humanity. Listen to what Peter said, 1 Peter 1.3, speaking of the resurrection of Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again unto a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this central figure in creation, in reconciliation, and in the church, He is also the birth of a new hope for humanity. That there's something better. A living hope that He has wrought for us through His resurrection. Scripture also declares, and now He is then the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean? Firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. For what purpose? In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The firstborn. How does He become the firstborn among many brothers? Through the power of the resurrection. Through reconciliation. He has accomplished the plan of redemption. That plan of redemption has opened up opportunities. The opportunities for a new hope, for a new life. Where is it all found? In Christ Jesus. He's central. Scripture would also declare He's the first fruits of all who have died. He's their hope. In 1 Corinthians 15.20 But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. All those who have ever died, we die now in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because He lives, we live. Because He rose, we have the guarantee of our resurrection. He's become the harbinger of the resurrection of His people. He who has been designated the Son of God in power. How's He designated the Son of God in power? According to Romans 1.4. He's declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. What's He trying to say? He's preeminent. He's central. He's central in life. He's central in death. He's central in His resurrection. He's central to the church. He's central to creation. He's central to your reconciliation. He's central to your living hope. He's central to the reality that you can be a new creation created in Christ Jesus. That I'm not doomed to the long line of failures that my family bestowed upon me. That I belong to a new family now. I have a new father. I have a new power in my life. By the power of the Holy Spirit and through His Son, He can declare me a new creation. Why? Because He's it. He's the most important, the preeminent one in all things. He is first. Jesus. Is first. That's why the scripture declared in Philippians that he has been given a name above all names. That the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is preeminent. This is what he is describing. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the preeminence of of the Lord God Almighty, of Jesus Christ. He is preeminent, verse 19, for in Him 
All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. In Christ Jesus, all the fullness of God. How much is all the fullness of God? Yeah, it's not, that's not complicated nor a trick question, right? Jesus is God. All the fullness of God. That phrase, this interesting phrase, that phrase where it says, was pleased to be. You know, the fullness of God was pleased to be within him. There's a variety of different ways that, that men have uh, uh, um, tried to interpret the phrase. I like this word. It's almost a direct uh, um, definition to the Greek. It's the word decreed. The fullness of God is decreed in Jesus Christ. Uh, that means he is the fullness of God. He is God of God, fully God, fully man. That's where the that's where the comp, this where that statement, that doctrinal statement comes from. He is the fullness of God. Nothing can limit that idea. And there's a, a phrase in, in Ephesians chapter one, verse twenty two, talking about the church and his centrality there. It says, He put all things under his feet, the Father put all things under the Son's feet, and gave him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church. Which is his body. Listen to this. The fullness of him who fills all in all. What's, what's the fullness of the body of Christ? It's not me. It's not you. It's us. We are. The church is. Corporately. The fullness of the son. That's the description. Paul would describe each of us as what? A member of the body of Christ. We're one body but many members, right? Eyes, nose, ears. There's lots of parts, right? We start looking at internal parts and we come up with all kind of parts. Plenty of space within the body of Christ for everyone. That is the full expression. The church on earth is to be the full expression of Jesus Christ. That's our role. Just as Jesus Christ is the full expression of God. The revelation, the representation. He is all of it. He is the one all-sufficient intermediary between us and God. The one that bridges the gap. But not only for us, for the, for the world. First John 2.2 declares that he is the propitiation, but not for us only, but the propitiation for the whole world. That's a big line. For the whole world. Jesus said, right? I am the way, the truth, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. He's the way. There's no other access. There's no other way to go. There's no other thing we can work out. He is preeminent, central to it all, central to everything that's going on. He is it. He is all that we need. Then we look at verse 20 and he begins to describe this reconciliation that he has begun to rot. Look what he says. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell for what purpose? And through him 
to reconcile to himself what? All things. It's one way. There's one life. It's Jesus Christ. He is central to it all. Paul is letting the church of Colossae understand the immense importance of having a well-grounded Christology. Who is Christ? It matters. Who is he? He is what scripture says he is. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Where is he reconciling all things? All things means most things? Well, everything on earth and in heaven. We talked about this before. Is there another category? I guess you could say maybe he doesn't reconcile the things on Pluto. But I think the point is everything. He's the reconciler of all things. And how does he reconcile? He makes peace how? By the blood of his cross. He who fulfilled the law kept the law, has now become the law. He who has lived that perfect, sinless life, the only one who could become the sin sacrifice for all who will call upon His name. The scripture declares, He who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God. I become the righteousness of God because He made peace. Who's He making peace with? He's making peace with the Father. That's a just God. God has declared the soul that sins shall die. Death is the sentence. For sinning against God. Sinning how? In our rebellion. The sin described for us in the book of Genesis as we work our way through. We have the fall of man, the corruption of man, and the rebellion of man. First 11 chapters. That's what they talk about. The fall of man, the corruption of man, the rebellion of man. God would declare several times through those 11 chapters. The thought of man is only evil continually. We are in darkness. God says then, that sentence is death. All I can do is bring death. We saw it in the flood. No? That's what the judgment of God looks like. But God desires... To have mercy. And in order to have mercy, he has his son take our place. He reconciles the world to himself through the sacrifice of his son. He makes peace through the blood of the cross. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one, united, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, in place of the two, making P. 
piece. The broken man and the whole man that's accomplished in Christ Jesus. Being found in Christ Jesus that He might create in Himself one man from the two. That He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's Jesus Christ in His work of reconciliation. Romans describes it this way. Romans 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. His death brought reconciliation, the payment of a debt, an atonement. His life brings the power to live. Brings the power to change. Brings the power to see God move in a mighty way through our life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. He made peace by the blood of his cross. He brought us together. And you who were once alienated. Verse 21 of Colossians 1. And hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Listen, here's the guarantee that we can have. You and I and everybody in the world, we have this guarantee That we were once alienated from God, separated from God. The Bible describes that as death. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Are you tracking with me? We're alienated from God. We're hostile toward God. And we did evil deeds. Those things are all true. That's what separates us from God. But now we have been reconciled in His body. In the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head and the church has become the body. His body is reconciled. We're covered by Jesus Christ. We're covered, clothed in Him. So what does that accomplish? That being clothed in Him allows Him to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. How? How can He blame? How can he present me holy, blameless, and, and above reproach? Because I'm not in me anymore. I'm in Christ. Literally, you are in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in Him. So when the Father looks at you, He sees His Son. Holy, blameless, above reproach. Not because you are, because He is. That's reconciliation. That's Him bridging the gap. You know, one of the best ways to try to wrap your mind around this is that we, we are in Christ just like your breakfast is in you. Oh, you didn't have breakfast. Your coffee is in you. Whatever you had is in you. When I look at you, I don't see scrambled eggs, bacon, toast. Do I? I don't see black coffee or sweet coffee or sugary coffee or some other kind of coffee. I don't see that. I see you. 
That's what it is to be in Christ Jesus. You are clothed by his righteousness. They don't see you. They see him. That's what reconciles us to God. That's what reconciles us to the Father. If you are not in Christ, you are not just men and women made perfect. You are children of wrath, storing up wrath from the Father in heaven. If you are not in Christ, you are in your sin. And you are guilty and condemned before a just and holy God. But if you are in Christ, you are covered by Him, clothed in Christ. Covered by His righteousness. I say, well, I don't know. I don't know. We are all going to still struggle. The key is, are you in Christ? Are you in Him? This is the... This is that which was predestined by the Father. The same way that that Rahab's house was was promised by the spies. You remember Rahab's house? The spies that, that were hidden by Rahab, they made a promise to her. Everyone who comes into this house will be saved. Everyone who comes into Christ will be saved. Well, people struggle with that. But Paul also told us how those things are accomplished. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 how it is that we can find ourselves in Christ Jesus. And it's one of the most important questions that we're ever going to be able to answer. But it's a, it's a vital one for us to know. How do I get into Christ Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that Jesus Christ has become our reconciliation through His death, burial, and resurrection. When you heard that word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. You put yourself in Christ. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. First 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. The bracha. The praise of the blessing of God. The promises of all that we have in Christ Jesus. They're only true one place. In Him. How do I get in Him? I heard the gospel. I believed. I responded to the gospel. And I enter into the body of Christ. Scripture declares we have all been baptized into one body. That's His. Identified in one body. The body of Jesus Christ. That is where our salvation is. You must be in Christ Jesus. You must be found in Him. You must have that truth. You are clothed in Christ and so He can present you holy and blameless and above reproach. My dad, before he left the ministry, he used to always quote from Jude 24. So 
somehow that benediction became one of my favorites. But listen to the promise of Jude 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. That him is Jesus Christ. Now unto him who is able. He keeps you from falling. He keeps you from stumbling. It's not something you have accomplished. It's something he has done. He has done it. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you how? Blameless. Before the presence of his glory. How does he do it? Doggone it, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stand before my father and I don't know if I really want to do it, but I'm going to do it. That's not what scripture says about Jesus. He says, scripture tells that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He hated the shame of the cross. But he did it for the joy set before him. The redeemed, the bride, the purchase price, all those who would enter, all those who would enter into his body, all those who would hear the gospel, who would believe, who would be baptized into his body by the Spirit of God. All of those, this is what he is declaring, they will be presented blameless and above reproach. So how do we respond to all that? How do we respond to what Paul is teaching, what Paul is talking about, going through? And we're just getting started in Colossians. There's a whole lot more to come. I know some people say, Jackie, how come you only do like four or five verses? I got six pages of notes and I skipped half of it today. I never make it through the whole chapter. We read the whole chapter because we don't want to lose context. The centrality of Christ. How do we respond? What do I do? This, this, this evidence that Paul is laying out for me about Jesus and his centrality to my life. What am I supposed to do with it? Continue in the faith. That's what he says in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Paul says, this is what I do. I go everywhere to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is our peace, that he has reconciled us to God, that he has tore down the requirements that were against us. He tore them down by fulfilling them. And then he became the law and was nailed to the cross, becoming our reconciliation. The only perfect and just man became my death so that he could give me life. So that he could pour out his power. Paul says, I become a minister of this. So what's he calling us to? Continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Continue. Stable, steadfast, not shifting the hope of the gospel. We have a tendency to want to shift to some kind of self-religious system. We have a tendency to want to elevate ourselves somehow beyond Christ. What's central? Who is central? Who is the main thing? Who is the main point? Jesus is. So where do we need to be? In Christ. That's our focus. But my tendency is to say, well, now I'm in Christ, but there's got to be something else i got to do. So I'm trying to elevate me. Somehow I'm going to try to elevate me so that I can actually become what I have been declared to be. I want to become what he has declared me. 
and we start trying to accomplish it some other way. He says, no, don't, don't turn from the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is in Christ, I am a just man made perfect, declared perfect by God. And the good news is, anybody can. Anybody can. How? Hear the gospel. Believe. Place your hope and trust in him. And allow God to do the work of reconciliation he's promised to do. Enter in to Christ. We can get focused in a lot of different places, right? We can think about of a lot of different things. But the main thing still stays the main thing and it continues to be the main thing. Jesus Christ, he's it. He is it. So he will declare, John will write, and we'll get to 1 John one day, but as we work our way through the scripture, we work our way through, we're going to come to John, and John's going to say, look, if you're worried about sin, the one who is in Christ has stopped sinning. And we go, oh, what? Yeah, Jesus never sinned. Not one time. You are clothed in Christ. Yes or no? If you are clothed in Christ, you are declared by God a just man made perfect. How can we who have died to sin live there any longer? We turn our back and we hold on to Christ. And when we fail... We confess our sin, He forgives us our sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and we continue. Because you and I are still a little nugget of scrambled eggs. But listen to what He said. This I want you to understand. Listen to what He said. He said, we're looking forward to the hope that what has been declared on earth now, that I am a just man, declared perfect by God through the blood of Jesus Christ and being clothed in Him, will one day become reality when I see Him face to face. Then that's over. But for now, that's my reality. Christ is central. He is everything we need. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word. God, I know there's a lot of deep, rich theological ground that we're trying to cover and and trying to make it simple, Lord. I just pray, God, that by your spirit, Lord, you you would do your perfect work. God, flood out the confusion that I might have spoke and make it make sense God make it find a fruitful place to plant seed and give fruit as we look at wanting to grow and to know and become the men and women that you want us to be as we celebrate the reality that you translated us from the kingdom of darkness where we were rebels against God but you've translated us into the kingdom of your son by by moving us by baptizing us by your Holy Spirit into the body of Christ so that we become justified which is a technical term that means we have been declared by the judge just as if we didn't do it 
we find that is where we rest. That's why Jesus Christ has become our rest. That's why he would declare, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We rest when we cease from our labor. Try to be something I can't be. I need to be in Christ. But scripture would also declare that we move not only from the declaration of our justification, but then Jesus begins to work in us. To mold and make us from the inside out. He changes. He says, I will change the things you desire if you will delight yourself in me. If you will delight yourself in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. I'll change what you want. Change how you think. I'll change how you act. Just submit to me. Humble yourself and allow me to do this work. The scripture calls that sanctification. And we live in that reality where a man like the Apostle Paul can say, he can declare himself, what a wretched man who will save me from the body of this, this body of death. In Romans chapter 7, as he declares, considering his acts, I know what I ought to do and I don't do it and I keep messing up. And then he says, I thank God that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We live in that reality, but we look forward to the third part that God's word declares. That is glorification. One day we will be made like him. Our sin nature will be destroyed in the resurrection. The struggle will be over. The rebellion will be done. And the only way we get to that promise is through the Son. The only way we arrive in that place is to hear the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has become our sin sacrifice. Believe. Put my trust in Him. And watch the work that the Holy Spirit begins to do. As moment by moment, day by day, I become a little more like Him. God, we so desired to see your move so desired to see these changes i so desired to have us grasp and hold on to the truth that your word declares so lord as we come to you as we close out in a word of worship god i pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't understand doesn't know you needs to to talk about these things further there's going to be people available for prayer standing up front that would love to explain it to you show you the way nobody has to leave this place not reconciled to God but no if you do you chose that God we pray by your spirit you would move and work in this place we want to proclaim your name above every name that is named so that you be glorified God so that you be magnified for you are the center of it all. 
And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.